ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And perhaps mercifully, the football season has now come to an end. Brett, we're going to talk about that. Arizona lost to ASU to finish the season 1-11. Since then, Arizona's also hired a defensive coordinator. We're going to talk about that. But for that and even more, just looking back at the season, we're going to be joined by our good friend Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com, because we love his contributions. We love his perspective on Arizona football. So, Brett, I think you and I, we could probably take care of the ASU game conversation on our own. We were there for that game. Had a nice time at an ASU tailgate before the game, so a lot of good fans of the Crafty Devils tailgate. We appreciate their hospitality. The ASU Sun Devils as a whole, though, that wasn't too hospitable to Arizona. 38-15 was the final score, and, I mean, it was it was competitive, I think, but in classic Arizona 21 fashion, they kind of shot themselves in the foot and did not make the plays when they had opportunities to do so. Yeah, I think, you know, when you, when you think back on this game, you know, what was the expectations for it and what was the outcome of it? And I feel like those are approximately the same, right? Yeah, more or um, less. You know, ASU didn't completely, you know, blow themselves up. Arizona didn't didn't necessarily either, but they didn't play well. They didn't play a clean enough game to win. Nope. They did not. Um, they certainly didn't, you know, play their best possible game. They showed fight. They were competitive in the game. Uh, you know, I do think there was some. There were a few deflating moments in that game. Uh, I would, I would probably contend that the game largely turned on the Jaden Daniels touchdown or touchdown run, which shouldn't account. There should have been a holding penalty, at least one or two of them, on that play. But yeah, I think you're right. But you know, what is a hold in Pac-12 anyway? But even then, Arizona went down the field and made a one-score game after that again. Like yeah. that's when they got that touchdown. I, I think the game, too many field goals, right? Like Arizona was moving the ball offensively. They did a good job of moving the ball, but then you have those mistakes of a false start on third and goal from the one. Yeah, like this, Those are things that kind of plagued them all season were there in this game. Arizona was moving down the field at will pretty much. Will Plummer had a great game, but he also had the fumble that turned into a touchdown. He had a pick six, which obviously is a touchdown. Like. He had a great passing game, his best passing game as a Wildcat. Threw for 346 yards, was accurate, getting the ball downfield. But two crucial mistakes were 14 points. And, of course, there was a safety, which you could argue should not have come to that because the refs called a phantom fair catch, illegal fair catch thing. But that's 16 points right there on Arizona miscues, you could argue. And there, you, that, to me, is the game. Like I don't think there was any single like real turning point in the game. Just Arizona didn't play well, and their mistakes cost them. I mean, you could make an argument that Arizona played pretty well. You know, they outgained ASU 396 to 314 yards. They held Jaden Daniels and ASU to 86 passing yards only, right? Jesus. I mean, they had 22 first downs to 16 for ASU. Um, you know, it, it, it was a very, it was, it was a perfect capstone to this season where Arizona shows fight, shows competitiveness, shows that they can move the ball and have, you know, 
show some fight and uh, ability to control an opposing team's offense when they're on the defensive side. Uh, but then they can't overcome the red zone issues, which are well documented. They can't over and and they can't overcome the 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 lack of success in the turnover battle. Right, like that's been game in and game out this year. Uh, Arizona had two turnovers, lost the fumble and the interception for the pick six. ASU did not turn the ball over. You know, I think back on the season in this game, and I just have you. Can you recall an Arizona football team that had fewer forced fumbles in a season than the than this year's team? Yeah, and it like, wasn't even like there were a lot of forced fumbles that bounced away from their guys. They just the ball didn't get put on the ground too often against them. It seemed like. Yeah, and it's like you know, once the ball's on the ground, it's largely a matter of luck, right? And like. It just didn't happen for Arizona on defense this year. And maybe, you know, it's, is that just bad luck? Is that, you know, not, not aggressive enough on hitting, you know, who's to say that the season's over. It's something that probably needs to get remedied uh, moving forward. Cause you can't lose, if you're going to lose the turnover battle, it doesn't matter if you win the time of possession by 35 to 24 minutes. Right. Well, and some of those stats are a little deceiving in this game too, given that Arizona gave ASU a one play touchdown drive. ASU got seven points sure. in reception. So like, now, this was a game, this was, a, I think you're right when you say it kind of epitomized Arizona's season in that they did show fight. They showed, I think, creativity with the play calling. The defense played well enough to win. The defense, for all intents and purposes, gave up 22 points in this game. And then the offense was moving the ball. The offense got in the red zone five times in this game. And they only scored one touchdown. And even early in the game, if Arizona drives down a couple plays, big plays down the field, they punch it in to, to start the game. It's a whole different tone than a field goal because then, of course, ASU goes down and scores a touchdown of their own. Arizona gets the ball back, moves down the field again, another field goal. You get touchdowns. You have the lead and their mistakes. Brian Castile dropped that ball at the end of the first half. That would have put Arizona in long field goal range. Who knows? It still would have been another field goal, but that's not a red zone. That's a, hey, you get points in the first half, um, one-minute drive that they had. It says something, but they were shooting themselves in the foot. And ASU, to their credit, did not. And, again, there were certain penalties that probably should have been called on them that were big non-calls that would have hindered some of their plays, but they didn't turn the ball over. They never hardly put the ball in the air. Like Jaden Daniels' passing numbers weren't good because he didn't have to throw the ball. And that's ASU's best offense this season. But if you're going to give them a short, a really short, a one-yard field, seven points on your own pass, and a safety, they don't have to do much offensively to beat you. So that's Arizona played a not clean game. And we said this last week, Brett. We talked about it. If each team played a clean game, ASU wins. That Arizona needed to play a good game and have ASU play a below average game to have a chance to win. ASU played an average game. Arizona was slightly below average. And this is what happens. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it impacts the outcome of the game. You talked about, like, the holds. There was also the weird. I don't know how you have a. Uh, I forget what it was called for the fair, the, the, the illegal fair catch. I remember we were talking like, how do you get an illegal fair catch? A fair catch is a fair catch. Yeah. If, if it's, if you don't signal for a fair catch or you don't sufficiently signal for it, isn't the ball just live? I guess not. And what they were saying was like Michael Wiley signaled for a fair catch. The ball did not go to him. And if you're the one, if you signal for the fair catch, but you're not the one who catches the ball, it's a penalty. But we'll talk to Michael Love. I know in his rewatch, he's like, he never saw anyone like Michael Wiley, even come close to signaling a fair catch. And I think Jed Fish was very confused about that, as were we. I think, is it the difference? There wasn't one penalty. There wasn't one play that was the difference in this game. But you add it all up, and you have the loss. 
Yeah, I mean, I would contend that the holds on Malik Reed on that touchdown was a pretty big momentum swing. Oh, absolutely, because you said you thought that was the play that turned the game. And yes, if ASU gets a holding penalty there, take the seven points off the board, and I forget what down it was. It might have been second down. Let's say it's like first down, second down, and 20-ish. Or it would have been the backfield, so probably would have lost even more yardage as opposed to a touchdown. Yeah, that's a big non-call. But Arizona went from that, drove down the field, and got their only touchdown of the game. So, like, they were... They fought back, as they did so often this season, where they were not the better team. They certainly weren't the more talented team, but they fought back, just made enough mistakes to lose. Yeah, and, it, you know, I feel like you saw the same kind of slope of the line of this season for Arizona, where I feel like the game plan was not a bad one. The play calling, I don't think, was particularly bad other than just they're not able to execute to get into the end zone. You know, we saw some uh, trickeration early in the game that, you know, some crazy formations with, uh, what, like two linemen. Yeah. Mari yeah. Joyner. And we were like, what the hell is happening uh, here? There was a pass back to Will Plummer who threw it down. Dorian Singer, of course, got ejected in this game. I never saw what he did. Apparently it wasn't good. But he was torching ASU in this one. Yeah, it's a, it sounded like one of those things where it was a verbal thing, which it's hard to assess that. Um, so, you know, what do, what do you take out of this game? I'm not sure too much. I think Will Plummer, you know, passed, you know, looking back at the, at the stats, I'm kind of amazed at how many yards he threw for. Uh, but then if you don't turn that, if you, if you, if you would have told me Will Plummer would throw for almost 350 yards, I'd say, Hey, Arizona's putting some points on the board. And instead, you know, they, they had field goals at best. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily win or lose you the game, but it certainly, well, it doesn't win you the game necessarily, but it can lose you the game, if that makes sense. I think it does. Um, so, you know, if, if nothing else, you know, to, to put a cap on a season with low expectations, um, you know, sadly for you and I, Ronnie Stoffel will not be buying us a case of beer. Nope. Lucky for us. There was no uh, downside risk to any kind of wager there. It was just him trying to flex on his low expectations, which were, I think, met. Um, you know, I, do, I, I don't think, and it's, oh, I mean, the easy, obvious comparison is to, to last year's Territorial Cup. It's clear this team didn't give up on the coaching staff. Um, oh. And that's, and that's not, and that's, and that's a pretty big thing heading into a big off season where, you know, moral victories aren't going to cut it here real quick. Brett, you, you asked, like, is there anything to take from this game? And big picture, maybe not. But you look at the players who did really, really well. Will Plummer had arguably his best game, and he, he grew over the course of the season. He really did. And this was an offense, I think, I'm pretty sure ASU went into this game saying they are not going to let Arizona run on them. They're going to make Will Plummer beat them. And he wasn't good enough to do that. But he played really well, given that opportunity. Stanley Berryhill had a monster game. Like there were certain things. Arizona receivers were running free this entire that entire afternoon. Booby Curry had a nice game. Castile was open quite a bit. You know, and mentioned Dorian Singer. They couldn't stop him down the field on those catches. I I there were things to like about this game. Anthony Pandy did well. Malik Reed in his first start, I thought was solid. <laughs> and the defense as a whole was pretty good. They got pressure on Jane Daniels. They couldn't track him down. He's slippery. Too. He's a tough guy to track down the backfield. We always say, like, wow, if he's they're one Jaden Daniels injury away from being screwed. Well, he's really good at avoiding hits and avoiding <laughs> defenders. Like, that's a credit to Jaden Daniels. And even Rashad White had 98 yards rushing. Not his best game of the season. 
Like the defense played well. The offense moved the ball, just couldn't put it in the end zone. And that's why they lost. And can you build on that for next season? Like, yes, it's obviously better than what happened at the Territorial Cup last season. It's better than most games that happened last season. But if you take the big picture view, is it a sign of growth for this team? Maybe. Maybe they went out thinking they could win that game. And they could have if they played well. They didn't. But, you know, the Territorial Cup goes back to ASU the fifth year in a row. I know we were leaving the game, and I'm fairly confident if Arizona can get a quarterback, they beat ASU next season. Like, there wasn't anything about, like, last year you'd say, oh, wow, that team is leaps and bounds and light years ahead of Arizona. Especially given what ASU is likely to lose this offseason based on transfer and all that stuff and their so far lack of recruiting class, and that could change, of course. But as of right now, I would certainly feel better about the trajectory of Arizona football than ASU football. I think I think that's t- I think if you did a uh, if you gave truth serum to all Arizona and Arizona State fans, I think Arizona fans feel better about the direction heading into the offseason and into next year than ASU fans feel with Herm Edwards announcing he's sticking around, I guess, for some time, um, you know, <laughs> until he is uh, until he is given an opportunity to retire <laughs> if, if and when NCAA things come crashing down. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I, I, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past that the difference between like a one, two, three win team and a bowl team in college football is really not that much. Like Arizona was competitive in a lot of these games, right? If they had beaten, if it, it all comes back to, if they had beaten NAU and you look back on the schedule and you realize, Oh wait, San Diego state is actually great. BYU, BYU is actually pretty darn good. Pac-12 South champs. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, <laughs> I mean, let's let's think back to when we were actually favored going into that San Diego State game. For all those people <laughs> that say that Vegas knows everything, I give you that spread. <laughs> well, even yet to your point, which game was Arizona blown out in? At Washington State. Okay, that's fair. You were at that one. The weather, the injuries, just whatever. And then San Diego State, that was it. And and the games at Arizona by halftime, you knew like they were not going to have a chance to win this game. Every other game they played, they had a chance to win in the second half. A lot of them in the fourth quarter. Now NAU is the one like come on, and you'll never be able to that. There's no excuse for that. But every other game other than San Diego State and Washington State, they had a chance to win in the second half. They were within a score in the second half. They played hard and they played well enough, but not good enough to win. Like they played better than they have in the past but they would make those mistakes or they'd fail to punch the ball in the end zone. Like when that touchdown matters for the momentum, for the belief, when they needed that, they would get up fall. How many, how many red zone penalties did this team have this season? Ugh. You know? And like they had third and goal from the one in the ASU game. I think it was Jordan Morgan, a false start. And maybe they don't get it on third down because they weren't able to run the ball much. But you know what? They would have gone for it on fourth down. Yep. And, and if you don't get it, okay, you leave an ASU at the one. Now they got three points out of that. Tyler Loop had a great season, by the way. But – you know, those things are momentum. That's a lead for Arizona right there. That's a 10-7 lead showing, yeah, this is a different a, a different Arizona team than last season. It's going to be a lot different. Arizona has that lead. Yeah, they were up 3 nothing, But you punch it in and you're doing everything you want offensively, that says something for the tone of that game. But failing to punch it in, still being behind, like Arizona was up 3 nothing, and then they never had the lead after that. So, like, they made those mistakes throughout the course of the season, and it's frustrating but you also say, well, they're also not that talented. So to even be in that position to where you can make crushing mistakes that cost you, that means you're doing something right, even though you're doing just enough wrong. And I mean, 
maybe it's more of a telling factor of our quarterback room, but our number three quarterback was our starter for the majority of the season due to due to injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think back to what we talked about maybe a month ago on this pod, and I was I said that that the opportunity for wins has you know it's been knocking and the doors maybe cracked open, and Arizona's just they're not quite good enough to kick the door down, right? And that's and that's probably just the sheer lack of talent. I think the effort was there. I think in general the coaching improved in terms of game planning as the season went along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I th- we've already started to see some of the roster turnover that's going to happen. Some guys have already announced they're transferring out. You know, there's different rules um, with 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 COVID for people that transfer out after December 15th, where you can actually have classes that are much larger potentially. But even the guys that are transferring out now are freeing up, uh, you know, scholarships for for players like Dorian Singer that absolutely deserve a scholarship, right? Um, it's going to be an interesting off season, I think, for for this year's Wildcats and Jed Fish, and it already it already has been uh, in the last week since Don Brown left. Um, you know, I think you see enough in this game to see. I think it tells you more about the coaching staff and the culture than it does about the team because the, t- the talent level is just not there to truly be competitive, especially at certain key positions like quarterback. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in a normal roster, Will Plummer is not seeing the field for at least a couple of years. And he's probably doing that as still as a backup. Right. He's kind of been thrown to the wolves. If you think back to how bad Cleo Tate was when he was thrown into action as a young, young player, uh, you know, it, it, it shows up. So, you know, if you take, if you take anything away from this game, the biggest things I take away are they showed fight, they showed competitiveness. There was competent game planning and scheming. The mistakes are still there. You know, is that coaching? Is that just the players executing it? Probably both. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the, the, the real test now is going to, is going to be all right everybody still seems to be mostly bought in. And if they're not bought in right now, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some uncomfortable conversations with some players, with the coaching staff. And you're going to see some of those guys transfer out. And, you know, I'm a big believer in culture trumping, trumping most things, but you also need to have the guys that are physically able to, you know, execute on things like Jaden Young probably shouldn't have been playing this year. Is he a kid to root for? Does he have the straight line speed or the size to be starting in the Pac-12? At least as a freshman, probably not. Maybe in a couple of years he bulks up, sure, um, but we'll we'll see. And you know the off season is interesting thing because that's where it's got to be largely player dr- driven. Not you know they don't get time with the coaches, and it's going to be a real test of that culture. Yeah, yeah. And to that end, I think, and I wrote something for AZ Desert Storm that got a lot of comments on it, and that I don't think this season was a failure. And I understand people like, yeah, it was they won a game and lost to NAU, like wins and losses. Yeah, it was bad, but it's those other things that. And admittedly, those are things like the thing, the positives I saw, we won't know if they really were positives or if it was fool's gold until next season, the year after the year after that. Cause it's saying, oh, yeah, well, they changed the culture. Yeah, the players were playing hard, which I think is huge because they weren't necessarily doing that last season. But that's a really low bar. Right. Like, it's not saying, oh, they played hard. Therefore, this coaching time is great or the game planning improved. Yeah, it looked like it improved. Hard to say, though, they were scoring. They scored 15 points against ASU. It's eight more than they scored last season. You know, it's like there's certain things where like I get it, but it also didn't crater. It never did. This team lost 11 games this season and they kept playing hard till the very end. And that's not and they lost five games last season. They did not play hard till the very end. 
And yes, this was with certain guys who probably didn't belong in the field. And I'll go back to Will Plummer too. Like Jed Fish comes in as a quarterback guru, so to speak, right? And he made it work with Will Plummer. Will Plummer got better. And maybe he would have over the course of the year just because playing time. Young kid, redshirt freshman. Maybe he would just got would have got better anyways, but he did. And we saw that against ASU with what he did in that game, throwing the ball down the field, accurately trusting his receivers when he had single coverage. He threw it there. He made I mean, Stanley Barrett made a great catch on one. So it was a beautiful throw. Of course, Dorian Singer on the first drive beat Jack Jones and ended up being like the game MVP, but Singer got the best of him on that one too. And there were enough bright spots, enough players who are like, okay, they're not necessarily superstars, but they can build off of them, if, assuming they all come back, and that's the roster terminal. We're going to have to see what happens. But... You kind of, I get the feeling if they can improve the talent level, which is easier said than done, there's no guarantee they will, but if they can improve the talent level, the coaching staff is good enough to make this team competitive and get them to a bowl game eventually. I don't know what the ceiling is, but I didn't leave this season saying that coaching staff is garbage. Like, I think they improved as they got a better understanding of the team, and I think they kept the team motivated. Those two things are the most important. Coach them up and keep them interested in playing hard. They did that, so I don't feel bad. Like, I wish they would have won more games. I wish they would have beat NAU. It would have made the whole idea that they improved and were better off that much easier. But, you know, for a team that the over-under in Vegas was two and a half, they won a game, so they hit the under. But it doesn't feel like they were the worst team in college football this season. I'm not convinced they were the worst team in the Pac-12 this season. I think Arizona beat Stanford if they played tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That would be an awful, awful game to watch. Yeah, the, the same Stanford that, I, if I recall correctly, beat Oregon early in the season. <laughs> it was a, it's, it's funny. I know ASU fans are all mad because they're like, the Pac-12 was down this year and the Pac-12 South wasn't very good in their right. Same can be said for Arizona, but even then, Arizona, I, they, who is the worst team they got to play? They played Cal, who's not that good. And, of course, they got Cal with the COVID. Otherwise, Colorado on the road. Like their schedule, I think I saw it was the Sagarin or they, whatever one for USA Today they had for football. Arizona had the 17th toughest schedule in the country this season. So I'm not saying if it was an easier schedule, Arizona wins because the easiest team on their schedule at home they lost to. But, yeah. And I don't know how much of that is because Arizona was on the other team's schedule. Like those teams got a win against the Wildcats. Therefore, they looked better in the overall you know, computer system. But it wasn't a forgiving schedule overall. And I know next year's isn't going to be much better. But, you know, 1-11, that's the final. Arizona lost to Arizona State 38-15 to to get to that record. And it doesn't feel terrible. So I think that's where we're at. Well, when you, go to, when you look at next year's schedule, just know that at least one of those teams, i.e. Arizona State, will have a considerably more depleted roster. <laughs> it certainly looks like it could be. So, you know what, Brett? So I think that'll do it for our talk on the ASU game and our some our brief thoughts on Arizona football. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star to get his thoughts on Arizona football, the new defensive coordinator, and all the things happening with Jed Fish's program. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Welcome back to Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com, one of our favorite guests and the perfect guy to help wrap up this football season. Thanks, fellas. Glad to be back. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So... One in eleven. <laughs> um, it's they didn't reach the Vegas spread, but Brad and I were saying in the segment before this, it's hard not to feel better about the program and where it's at compared to last season, especially. But it's your overall impression of how this season went 
and where the program is? One in 11 is not great. It is better than 0 in 12. Fact. To be sure. We don't have to talk about that losing streak anymore. Um, so that's a positive. Um, I think that people would have looked at the season a lot differently if they had just one more win. And if that one more win had come against either Northern Arizona or Arizona State, it's hard to get that NAU loss out of your system. Um, never should have happened. Never should happen. Um, but it did. And, you know, I think um, as Jed Fish said on during his Sunday uh, wrap-up press conference, like there were a lot of positives that happened this season. There were a lot of negatives. Obviously, when you go 111, there are more negatives than there are positives. Quickly, on the positive side, I think just some promising young players, some tangible growth by some of those players over the course of the season. I'll just lump that all into kind of one basket. Um, the negatives, you know, too many penalties, terrible in the red zone, uh, terrible turnover margin. Um, put those three things together and you're not going to beat many opponents, especially when you don't have as much talent or as much depth as most of the teams that you're facing. So, you know, you, you mentioned the talent disparity between Arizona and most teams. Yeah, I, I, I know we talked about it on this pod. It's not it, that was not the case with the NAU loss that you mentioned either, right? So I guess my question for you, in terms of just putting a bow on this season for the for the for the negatives, you know, maybe let's let's get the negative conversations out of out of the way first. What percentage of the negative problems there are just sheer raw talent, um, you know, lacking, or is it Jedfish kind of learning? And I guess sub question. Do you think that this coaching staff improved as the season went along? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I think, you know, some of it, it's, it's kind of all related, right? Like, I think that Jed had to mold his offense to the talent that he had available to him. That became increasingly problematic as one quarterback went down and another quarterback went down. <laughs> I think, you know, based on what we were able to see of the three guys, um, Gunnar Cruz was probably the least effective of the three, even though he's the one who was picked to start the season. That can happen sometimes. I know people find it dumbfounding, um, but it's like all you have to go off of is practice. And sometimes the guy who's best in practice is not the guy who's best in games. Different situation, but similar outcome was Khalil Tate. I mean, how could you not start Khalil Tate, right? After you saw him play against Colorado, it's like, wow, how could you not play this guy? Well, not a great practice player. And the things that Khalil Tate did so well were not evident in practice because you don't let quarterbacks run 70 yards down the field. You blow the whistle and you go on to the next play. So anyway, I think that, you know, the play calling was somewhat dictated by the available personnel. Um, I, as to, you know, the talent deficiencies, I think, you know, maybe they showed up in the red zone where you need playmakers to win one-on-one -on -one battles, you know, or you need to be able to run the ball when the other team knows you're going to run the ball. You know, it's one thing to run when it's second and 15 and you've been able to spread everybody out and they don't think it's coming. Another thing when you're in tight, everyone's in tight, mono and mono, you know, let's run the rock. On defense, 
Um, I think that the talent issues showed up when the safeties especially were placed into man coverage against slot receivers. Big problem. I mean, that was a, that was a problem all year long. You know, um, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, I think Jaden Young gave up eight touchdowns this year, and I want to say the next closest on the team was four. Um, so, you know, teams are exploiting that weakness. And that was one way in which I feel like, you know, maybe the defensive staff led by Don Brown at the time could have been a little bit more adaptable, try to come up with uh, ways to uh, offset that or hide that um, quote-unquote weakness. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very familiar with the Jaden Young deficiencies against the slot. I was at that Washington State game <laughs> where I feel like half of those touchdowns were given up. Um, you know, I guess to 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 – so those are some of the negative things that we're, you know, kind of talking about. What, what in your perspective were the positive takeaways from the season, whether it's just, you know, strict positives or improvements you saw during the course of the year? Well, you could make the case that um, Arizona found a quarterback, maybe two quarterbacks. Uh, Will Plummer looked pretty darn good down the stretch. I mean, I know he made that one killer mistake against ASU. Before that, though, I think it was really kind of almost the first time all year where you could say, like, this is what the Jed Fish offense is supposed to look like, right? Play action, hitting those passes between the linebackers and the safeties. You know, he was four for four on passes thrown 20-plus yards down the field. I think the stat was five for 32 on those passes before that game. You know, he was seven for, I think he was seven for 11 on passes, 10 to 19 yards. According to pro football focus, he was somewhere around 50% uh, going into that game. So tangible improvement from Will Plummer. Jordan McLeod looked pretty good too when, when he got a chance. He was playing really well in that UCLA game before he got hurt. Other young players who looked promising, uh, Stevie Rocker Jr., every time he touched the rock, like this guy's got something, like really good vision, smooth. Uh, great feel uh, for the game. Uh, Dorian Singer looked like a like a dude. Um, Mejon Wright didn't play, but heard nothing but good things, and we saw what he looked like, you know, in in the few games last year. He'll be part of the mix this upcoming season. Josh Baker and JT Hand. I mean, that's your center and guard. Just what that's your center and one of your guards for the next three years. Um, both of those guys look like they belong. Uh, on the defensive side, um, Paris Shand, again, like looked like a player. Um, not someone that we ne- necessarily expected to have such an impact this early in his career. Keon Bars went from sort of like a, a guy to um, a dude. We may use those terms, like real player, um, legit defensive tackle, who could be an all-pack 12 player sometime down the road. And I thought the cornerbacks were a good position group. This year, Isaiah Rutherford, before he got hurt, was pretty effective. Trade and Stukes, like diamond in the rough, like really looks like a legitimate player, good athlete, big enough, um, seems to be me- like mentally in the right headspace to play that position. And then I think Christian Roland Wallace is kind of what we thought he'd be. You know, he's a, a very good um, college player with pro potential. So, and oh, Last but not least, the special teams. 
I know there were some issues, some breakdowns along the way, but the specialists, the punter and the kicker, Kyle Osendorp and Tyler Loop, they might have the best combination in the league. And those guys will be around for a couple more years. That You're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> I think, Brent, I said that those are all guys that stepped up this season and either played well, as expected, I think, in some cases, and others, they were kind of surprises, pleasant surprises. Of course, Arizona needs more talent just to kind of supplement that because those guys alone are not enough. I did want to ask you about something. You do the, you've done the game rewatches all season long, and I really appreciate that. It's, hell, I, <laughs> it might have been difficult at times, but we do appreciate it. And one thing I've noticed in those is occasionally you bring up penalties that aren't called. And you mentioned against ASU how Malik Reed got held twice on Jaden Daniels' touchdown run. I look back to just thinking of those penalties where it seems like some tough breaks because it was against um, Washington on the play that like the penultimate play to the touchdown that took the lead for the Huskies. I think they called a pass interference or a holding call on Christian Young, but it looked like one of the Arizona defense alignment, I think it might have been Mo Diallo, got held on that play too, should have offset. Against USC on that long touchdown pass um, from Slovis, Jalen Harris got held pretty blatantly. It wasn't called. And I know there's a few others, and I understand penalties happen. They're not always called. But if you're Arizona, this is a defensive line, a defensive front that was good at getting after the quarterback, and they never got those calls. How is there a way to fix that? Because, like, and it's not just like those calls cost them the game, but those are very instances where it's easy to see on replay. It seemed like it should have been easy to see for the referees who are staring right at it that were huge non-calls for this Arizona defense. How do you fix that? Yeah, I would add to that pile that the longest play from scrimmage that Cal had in that game, they had two linemen who were like five yards downfield on a forward <laughs> pass. Two. So, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to fix because you're talking about Pac-12 officiating, which has been not great for a while. But there is a new commissioner, uh, George Klyavkov, and he's kind of got a long list of things to do. And I think improving the officiating has to be at or near the top of that list. Um, I would strongly consider, you know, hitting the restart button there, new leaders, getting new leadership in. Uh, they need a lot of reform. Uh, it's it's problematic. I'm sure every fan base across the Pac-12 has complaints that are along those lines. You know, I, th- those holding penalties are really frustrating as just a football observer because it's kind of like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, the referee is looking right at that area, usually, like where the quarterback is or where the ball carrier is going. You can see the the action of the defensive lineman, his arms going up in the air or some sort of flailing type motion. That's not what naturally happens when you're pursuing a ball carrier. You know, I mean, how does how does Malik Reed end up on the ground? You know, he didn't just dive on the ground for no reason, not anywhere near Jaden Daniels. So. Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to pin any, not one single loss this year. I don't think you could say it was just because of the officiating, Agreed. but it didn't help. Agreed. It didn't help. Like a team that like needed a break here or there, it felt like they didn't get many breaks. And, and is that the type of thing, too, for maybe just it's a lack of respect for Arizona? Because this uh, traditionally, historically, has not been a very good defense. And Don Brown comes in and Dr. Blitz and all that. So they change things up. But. Do maybe referees, do you think, and I know I'm just asking you to kind of speculate here, but they're going to say, well, it's Arizona, their defense, they're not that good anyway. So, yeah, sure, Jaden Daniels escaped, but that's going to happen no matter what. Because I wouldn't think that refs, like, it's not, I mean, it's not, it has to be subconscious, not actively looking and saying, we're not going to call a holding penalty that we see, but just 
it's Arizona. They're the worst team in the Pac-12, so they kind of go into that thinking, you know, so maybe if Arizona improves, then that stuff gets better for them too? Well, I mean, as far as penalties not being called, I don't think that has anything to do with Arizona being good or bad. As far as, like, needing to commit certain penalties so that touchdowns aren't scored or because you can't get off a block, like, I think talent can play into that. You know, like, you might see pass interference down the field because – you know, the receiver beat me and I had no choice but to tackle him or knock into him or whatever. Um, I think there might be uh, some subconscious stuff that comes into play when it's a big crowd and it's a home game. You know, I've, I've heard and read things about that in the past, especially more so with basketball because it's an even more intimate setting um, where sometimes the home team might get favored. People think that the officials favor, you know, the good teams or that there's some, you know, memo that's been handed down from on high in the Pac-12. Hey, you know, Oregon is the only hope we have to go to the college football playoff game, call the game in their favor. I don't think any of that is true. I think um, they do the best job that they can. I just don't think that they're trained well enough. Uh, They're just not up to the standard of some of the other leagues. Every league, every league across the country has its its own set of issues. The Pac-12 just seems to be um, a little lower, slightly lower level than it should be for a, a quote-unquote Power Five program. So, Michael, as you know, as we kind of put a bow on the 2021 season and we head into what it's likely to be an eventful off season, and already has been an eventful off season. Uh, I'm very curious to get your perspective. We've already seen some guys. Uh, from the Arizona side entering the transfer portal. But the biggest news so far, uh, I just today, we're recording on December 1st. Arizona has a new defensive coordinator. I'd love to get your thoughts and reaction to the hire. Yeah, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with Johnny Nansen. Uh, we overlapped during my time covering uh, USC. That was the tail end of my, my time there. Um, he is a very versatile coach. He's coached both sides of the ball and special teams. Um, Jed Fish praised his energy level. Um, He is a good recruiter. At least he has a great track record as a a very good recruiter. Now, how much of that had to do with, you know, the logo on the polo? I don't know. But he's very well connected in Southern California. He's connected in the Polynesian community. I mean, if you look at his profile on 247 Sports, you will see a ton of guys of Polynesian descent that he got to go to USC. Prominent, really good players. Um, if he can get some of those guys to come to U- to Arizona, that would that would work in the Wildcats' favor. Um, no question about it. Um, he's also brought in guys from Hawaii. And there's a lot of good players in Hawaii. And, you know, it'd be nice to get some of those guys uh, to come to Arizona as well. I think that the hire primarily was a recognition on Jed Fish's part that they need to upgrade the talent here. You know, that there's only so much you can get out of, you know, mid-level, low-level three-star players, no matter how well you coach them, that there's there's a, a ceiling that's, you know, not as high as he would like it to be and that they need to upgrade, you know, the, the caliber of the athletes, you know, more size, more explosiveness, all of those things. 
if you're concerned about Johnny Nansen not having the requisite experience to be a defensive coordinator as far as calling plays and so forth, it's a legitimate concern. He does not have that particular thing on his resume, but he's been around a long time, number one. Um, number two, uh, I know that he has been considered for head coaching opportunities in the Mountain West and the Big Sky. He's, his roots are in the Big Sky Conference, so he's obviously very highly thought of within the industry. And number three, you've got Dwayne Walker and Chuck Cecil on your staff who have been defensive coordinators in the past. And I think that it will be a more collaborative effort on that side of the ball than it was with Don Brown, who is, you know, 65 years old and kind of set in his ways and had his system and is kind of teaching it to everybody else. Uh, Jed told me that they're going to run a defense that's kind of in the Pete Carroll uh, mold, you know, single high safety, man, or uh, what's called, I guess called three deep zone. That's what Dwayne Walker grew up in, you know, when he was cutting his teeth as a as a young defensive coach. So he knows that system really well. I am sure um, that he's going to help out in a big way um, as far as those defensive coordinator duties. Now, Johnny Nansen still has to be the one to make those calls on game day. So we'll see how that goes. People don't like the idea very much of these kind of coaches and training. We'll see. I, I think that um, having the X's and O's acumen is more important on offense than defense. Like I'm kind of of the mind of keep it simple on defense, play hard, be fundamentally sound, and the rest will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, I mean, Jed Fish in in the press conferences in the last you know days or week or so until since Don Brown announced he was leaving, he kind of listed out some criteria. And I think Arizona fans and our listeners maybe got a little bit unrealistic expectations with some of the names that were tossed about there, like Jimmy Lake. Like, was he realistically an option? Probably not. But Nansen seems to check all of the boxes that Jed Fish mentioned. And some of the boxes that I think a lot of Arizona fans uh, check with, you know, having that Polynesian pipeline, uh, you know, connection. I think you kind of touched on this it, 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 in your answer where you say he's a he's a versatile coach. He's been around the game for a, a while, but he's also known as a pretty good recruiter. You know, I think most people rightly assume that most coaches are either mainly a recruiter or mainly a, a coach as a developer or a schemer. And it, it seems to me like Nansen might be kind of kind of down the middle a little bit there. It's just he doesn't have the 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 play calling experience. Is that is that a fair way of framing it? Or would you frame him as one or the other of the recruiter versus more coach and developer? I think more of a recruiter um, than a coach slash developer. I, I mean, I think maybe there's three things, you know, there's the X's and O's, you know, just drawing up plays, figuring out what the other team's going to do, matching up. I think that's the area where he's probably um, most deficient or just has the least experience, right? The, 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 there's there's just no, we don't know. He has never done it. So we'll, we don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, as far as like developing players, he sent a bunch of guys to the NFL on both sides of the ball, you know? So um, I think that aspect will be fine. If he's going to coach linebackers, I'm not sure if it's going to be inside or outside. Not totally sure what's going to happen with Keith Dudzinski, 
um, who current who has been coaching, you know, the the, uh, the inside linebackers. Um, we're still not totally sure, you know, what the personnel is going to look like. I think they're going to be four down. Probably will be like a, a four-two-five would be my guess with that fifth defensive back probably being in the mold of the Viper or whatever you want to call it, that kind of in-between uh, player, uh, something uh, of that nature. Um, you know, if, if you're Arizona, right, you're a rebuilding program, you're 1-11, you're in the Pac-12 where there isn't as much money to throw around, you're not going to get the very top of the food chain candidates for your assistant coaching jobs. I'm sorry, you're just not. Don Brown is kind of a kind of a fluke in that Michigan fired him and he, Jed Fish knew him, you know? I mean, he was the highest profile, most qualified defensive coordinator that Arizona's probably ever had. And I try to warn people like, hey, don't be disappointed if it's not a big name. And, and I would say too, and look, I, I cover college football, like for a living, right? You guys are... You guys are very into it, like hardcore fans. How many offensive and defensive coordinators can you name of the 130 <laughs> FBS programs that there are, right? 20% maybe, yeah. you know, like no one knows who these people are. Like with, like with baseball, um, when Jay Johnson was hired at Arizona, no one knew who Jay Johnson was, right? And he turned out to be a great coach who's now gone on to, to LSU, but you know, with all these things, the proof lies in the pudding. So we'll see what the product looks like. I think if they can get some players in here, you know, that's more than half the battle. Upgrading the town, more speed, more explosiveness, you know, maybe some, some big linemen as well. Yeah, we're joined by Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. If For this role, for Arizona, where they're at as a program with this roster, Getting more talent is paramount. Like, they must do that. So if you're going to hire a coordinator and you know he does one thing really, really well, if it's recruiting, that makes all the sense in the world to me because that's more important than anything because he can coach, obviously. He's been around for a while. He knows what he's doing as a coach. Calling plays, okay, it might be collaborative, but he'll figure it out. Jed Fish is kind of doing the same thing. So for where Arizona is at, it seems like get a recruiter, get talent in here. What's the have you gotten any early reaction though for what people are thinking of this hire? Because yeah, it doesn't necessarily move the needle for fans, but for this recruiting class, it has some defensive players that people are pretty high on. Is there any sense early on of like what this hire means to them? Uh, as far as fans go, I feel like it's mixed reviews. It just depends on how realistic your expectations are. Um, I think those who had realistic expectations probably okay with it. Those who you know didn't aren't um they felt like arizona could do better but like i said i'm not sure arizona could have done that much better um not sure what the reaction is among the recruits as of yet but i do know that basically as soon as possible even without having arizona garb in his uh, wardrobe johnny nansen is on the road recruiting and he's meeting up with jed fish um later in the week they're going to recruit together um, and I don't think it's going to be a difficult sales pitch, honestly, unless there was someone who is like just dead set on playing for Don Brown and Don Brown's scheme for whatever reason. I think if you know, most of the kids who are committed to Arizona are still going to come to Arizona. Um, one more thing about the, 
the X's and O's. This this might sound really stupid, but I'm going to throw it out there and see what you guys think. Have you guys ever played Madden? Yeah, have I ever? Have yeah. I ever played Madden? So that's a yes for Brett. Halfback right? dive yes. left, halfback dive okay. right, slants. I'll beat you all. Okay, how many? Like when you play on offense, right? Like might a lot of different plays. Like when I played, I used a lot of different plays on offense. On defense, half a dozen maybe. Different calls. Like I don't know how many different calls or plays you can run uh, on defense. You know what I mean? Obviously, you need to pick the right ones at the right time. But like I said, to me, defense is about fundamentals, of being aligned properly, um, playing really hard, hustling to the ball. Those things, to me, are more important than having some sort of exotic scheme to throw at the opposition. See, I run the Tecmo Super Bowl playbook when I would, you know, mostly give me six plays and I'm I'm good offense and defense. That works for me. Not not room for confusion. My virtual players knew exactly what they needed to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I would just like to go on the record as I am clearly the best Madden offensive and defensive coordinator. Um, but I think to your point, Michael, it's it's you know, play calling is only those occasions when you're selling out for something or trying to react to an offensive play call rather than just keeping the, the the guys in front of you right it's it's when do you call the big blitz or when do you call something rather i think is your point rather than just you know it's it's not trying to get complicated all the time right yeah and there and there might be a certain tendency that a coach has that could drive you up the wall for example, when Marcel Yates was here and he would rush three and drop eight against Washington State's uh, air raid, I'd see Brett's reaction. I mean, if Johnny Nansen's doing that would have been like one of the first questions I would ask my defensive coordinator interview. So you're facing an air raid offense. How many guys are you going to rush on a regular basis? How often are we going to see rush three, drop eight? I'm not saying you should never do rush three, drop eight. But if you're doing it more than a handful of times in any given game, that's a concern to me. Um, I like I like I like defensive coordinators who are more aggressive. Um, you know, there were times though where Don Brown got burned doing that um, when teams had counters. Utah had some really nice plays um, that just seemed perfectly geared toward beating the blitz or beating man coverage. So I think you're going to see more of a mixture um, under under this uh, this new regime here on defense. Yeah. So so Michael, you you talk about how you think it's more important. Uh, and the Nansen hire is probably more of an impact on the recruiting side. Uh, I think going into this offseason, maybe more than most with some of the, the rule changes with, with COVID and eligibility and transfers, you know, that might mean a different thing than in past years with, you know, in the transfer portal being as populated as it, as it is. Um, what's your take on Arizona in terms of their current commits, but how are they also going to look to kind of plug some of those holes in the roster and how much roster turnover do you see as we go through this off season? Yeah, it is the wild, wild West out there. I mean, I think the portal, whatever we thought the portal was before it's like that times 10, like guys are just going in by the boatload. Um, you know, fortunately for Arizona, I mean, they have a staffer named Jeremy Gray. That's his job is to manage the portal his number one job especially in the off season and that's a big job it's like how do you figure out who's good you know and who who's uh you know who would fit into what you're trying to do when like literally 
could be thousands of players to choose from. Um, and it's a two-way street, of, of course. They, they have to want to come to Arizona. Um, I think that it's going to be, at the end of the day, it might be, it might end up being 60-40 high school versus to transfers, something like that. It could even, I'm, I'm not, 50, I'm not going to say 50-50. I'll say like 60-40. So I'm like 18 high school and 12 uh, transfers if they're able to get all the way up to the 30 max that I think they can get this year if enough guys leave. Um, and I think it might be like that on a regular basis. Like, I don't necessarily uh, think this is a one-off. And they did it last year. I think they ended up with 17 transfers at the end of the day. And that's just kind of the way it is now. Unless you're at the very, very top of college football, you know, the Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, those those types of schools, they're going to be able to bring in the very best four and five star players every year. Right. But for just about everybody else, like it's the draft plus free agency. The draft is your traditional recruiting and free agency is the transfer portal. And I think. I'm going to look for a couple offensive linemen in there. I just saw they offered a wide receiver from FIU. Maybe just get some more speed or and or size at wideout. Um, I think you know you can always be on the lookout for defensive linemen. Jed mentioned linebacker. That's another position where they added a bunch of guys last year. They're losing guys. Get some injury concerns. Probably use some more people at that position. I would say edge rushers you know um because i'm good big defensive linemen i don't know if they have that many quick twitch guys who scare you with their speed that would be an area i would look at and as i mentioned before the speed at safety needs to be upgraded you know they got to get some guys who can run and cover at um, those positions or they're going to continue to be taken advantage of and there's also quite a few local quarterbacks in the portal too right now and i wonder based on what what you saw this past season since Jed Fisher arrived, like when he got hired, people were like, that's going to be a three, four, five-year rebuild. Like it just takes that much time. But with the portal being out there the way it is, with recruiting the way it's gone, and with just what you saw from this coaching staff in year one, does it seem like maybe that rebuild could go a little bit quicker than anticipated? Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I mean, they have to... They have to fix the things that were broken this year, the things we talked about, penalties, red zone, offense, turnover margin. They have to get better and more consistent play at quarterback. And whether that's through in-house options or outside options remains to be seen. I'm very torn on that subject. I'm writing about it um, later in the week, whether they should pursue high-profile transfer quarterback or not. Um, and they got to continue to show growth in the trenches. Uh, the offensive line was better in 2021 than the previous year, but it still wasn't good. And as, you know, defensive line made a lot of plays, one of the better positions on the team, still gave up a lot of running yards. You know, and I, that's one of the things that I think Jed likes about Johnny Nansen is when he got to UCLA, their run defense improved a lot. He thinks he can he can help out 
um, with that front six or front seven or whatever number you want to attach there. So, you know, I think the odds are that Arizona will have better luck with turnovers and certain kind of breaks will go their way. You know, close games, those things tend to turn around. But the schedule might be tougher next year. There is no NAU on there. San Diego State's on the road. North Dakota State is a that's a tough team to, to play when you don't necessarily want to see on your schedule. So I don't know. I mean, if they can go four and eight, how would you guys feel about that? Great. <laughs> if it's the right, because there's, there's there's no bad, like you said, there's no NAU. And I, my thought was like, oh, thank God. But like, you know, if they win four games against that schedule, they beat four pretty good teams probably, or at least Pac-12 teams, and that's important. I guess when I say like the rebuild going quicker, it's like, yeah, we're not expecting them to win the Pac-12 next season. But if they win four games, that seems like a step in the right direction because I imagine if they do that, the influx of talent, the recruiting class from last season, the coaching up, the transfers they brought in, helped get them there. Like They would have to show visible improvement to win four games. Yeah, and of course it depends on how and when. They went 4-8 and eight in 2019, but they were 4-1 and one and then lost the last seven games, and they were expected to be a lot better than that. I mean, no one expects them to do anything next year, so 4-8 and eight might look pretty good. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to be 4-2 and two and then expectations are raised and then they lose their last six games or whatever. So, you know, 4-8 and eight with a win over ASU, hey, you know, that's, that's a big step uh, in the right direction. Um, I think progress also could be measured if they just if they get to a point where they're in the game and then they actually go ahead or finish the game. And so many times this year, they're right there in the middle of the third quarter, and then they just kind of fall apart uh, toward the end. Well, um, for, and, go ahead. I was going to say for all of our Vegas knows everything fans, uh, you know. Think back, Arizona was favored in that San Diego State game, and how foolish <laughs> does that look now? And now going into next year, opening game against San Diego State in San Diego, if they win that game, suddenly the perception narrative game is flipped on its head, right? After the after the the team that the Aztecs turned out to be, and I guess I guess that's my way of saying you don't know exactly in college football early on how much kind of up and down there's going to be in different programs but it's there's there's not an NAU in that uh in that early schedule to no. hopefully get an automatic win. Yeah. And and whatever we think about Arizona today, we're going to think differently about them a month or two from now because they're going to have 10 to 12 transfers from other schools. And I mean, remember how excited we were about Isaiah Rutherford, for example, you know? Or uh, Trayshawn Hayward, and you know, things didn't work out with him. For I, I'm not exactly sure why, even to this day. But Kenny Abear, I mean, these guys were impact players. Yeah. So get another batch of those guys in here to f- fill in some of the gaps that you have. You know, keep keep the guys around um, who are look, looking promising. And I don't know. You might think you might think differently about their fortunes um, if they're if they're able to do a really good job. Um, with that aspect of, of the recruiting game. Well, that would be nice. Certainly the hope is there are better days ahead for the football program and that this last season was just, it had to happen based on just the way the roster was and new coaching staff, but hopefully it was a foundation for better days in the near future. Of course, 
Michael Lev covers Arizona football, also covers Arizona baseball. I know that schedule just came out uh, to some excitement around that program. Not quite the full rebuild for Chip Hale there. We're not going to ask you too much about baseball. They're like, not much has changed, I guess, since the last time we talked to you about baseball. So probably not much to do there. But you mentioned coming up in the future, you have a piece on Arizona, what they should be doing at quarterback um, in terms of like what's out there, what they have. Is there anything else that people should be looking out for for you coverage-wise? Yeah, that piece is part of a three-part series that is kind of a review of 2021 slash look ahead to 22, offense, defense, and special teams. I've got awards, a report card, and a lingering question for each of those units. So um, that will be running over the weekend. That should tie people over. I'm hoping to do some cool stuff in advance of early signing day as well. Great. Well, looking forward to reading that. That's Michael Lev, Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael J. Lev. And once again, we appreciate you joining us here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks, guys. All right, so that's Michael Lev. And we come back, some final thoughts on the football season that has just ended, and, of course, a little basketball. We're back here, Wildcat Radio 2.0. Once again, thanks to Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star for his insight because <laughs> Arizona football, it was quite the calendar year for them. Of course, winning one game, but new coaching staff and all that. And, of course, now you bookend it with the hire of Johnny Nansen as a defensive coordinator. And, Brett, one thing that kind of sticks out to me in the whole Nansen thing is that he is supposed to be an ace recruiter. And I kind of agree. Like, Arizona can get by with, like, play calling to Lev's point makes a lot of sense. Like, it's how many plays do you really need? Get guys coached up, put them in the right position, and how many defensive plays do you need? And the biggest thing is bringing in more talent. And if he can do that, if he can help the recruiting efforts – then it's a good hire because to the point, like I'd never heard of Don Brown before he was getting hired by Arizona, you know? So like, who are these guys? Well, he's known as an ace recruiter. Yeah. I'm fine with as many of those types of guys on this coaching staff as possible. Yeah. I think uh, if you're an Arizona fan, at le- you know, to get to at least competitiveness and getting to bowl games, you know, you can't get there with subpar talent. No matter how good your coaching is, right? There's only so much good, great coaching and developing you can do if it's if you if there's just a, a complete lack of talent. Um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, you hopefully you have both. Most of the the, the unicorn coaches that are both uh, tend to get paid a lot of money at very large programs. Mm-hmm. And for for a program like Arizona, it seems like you know maybe not the 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 splashy big name hire but maybe one that you look back on in a year or two and say, that was actually a really smart, smart thing. Um, you know, and Jed Fish, you know, for, for, if we, if we think back to when he was hired, it was kind of wait who, uh, because nobody knows assistant coaches. You know, I think he did a pretty good job of winning the off season, largely by the fact that I think most Arizona fans would agree that he has hired pretty darn good position coaches up to and maybe mostly Don Brown. And that tells you something. Um, But I think most of the coaching staff in general has performed at or above expectations. You know, that hasn't necessarily translated to being on the field yet. Uh, But Jed Fish has made it clear that everybody on this staff is going to have to recruit. You know, there's, there's guys that maybe are better recruiters than others. I think, you know, if, if the, if I think, I think Lev was right that, on the defensive side, maybe talent matters even more because it's a lot more ability to react, and that's where just sheer raw athleticism, that quick quick twitch, and the ability to control the lines matters more. But you know, overall, 
it's I, I feel pretty good about the hire. I feel pretty good about Arizona heading into signing day and into this wild, wild west, as he called it, of the transfer portal. Yeah, and the portal has affected Arizona a little bit so far. Obviously, they haven't pulled anyone in out of the portal, but Jevion Carr entered the portal. Stacey Marshall Jr. entered the portal. I'm trying to remember who else is in the portal. Jaden Mitchell. Mitchell. And, you know, don't blame any of these guys. They didn't play at Arizona. And there's going to be that roster turnover. It's a new coaching staff. Again, it's their first. They have one year in now. They know what type of players they want. They know who they want to keep around. There's going to be some sense of, like, telling them, I'm sure, hey, there's not going to be any snaps for you next year. You should probably try to look elsewhere. And there's going to be some guys who decide they don't want to be a part of this program. And I'm curious to see who decides they don't want to be part of the program. There's some guys that did play. And they got to see who comes back also, guys who are seniors who could go pro or could leave college or decide to come back for another year. It's going to be very interesting, especially over the next couple of weeks, the way this portal is, who enters it, who decides to come back, who decides they're done with college football at the University of Arizona. Um, of course, Arizona is going to be linked to some guys that enter the transfer portal. There's all the local quarterbacks. I think that's after what happened last season. Like any type of local player that entered the transfer portal ended up at Arizona, it seemed like. And there's some really good quarterbacks. And we'll see what they do there. I'm interested in seeing Lev's piece about that because they got Noah Fafita coming in at that position. Obviously, Will Plummer played good enough to at least earn a shot at starting, I think, next season. And Jordan McLeod. And you still have Gunnar Cruz on the roster. We'll see what happens with him, too. So, But they need to have improved quarterback play, no matter what. And I don't know if it's like... And, Maybe you can kind of have Lev's column here, but I don't think like if one of these guys and I don't I mean there people know the names that are out there. There's a there's another plumber out there. There's a Miller Spencer Rattler's out there, and I've seen some people at Arizona fans don't even want Spencer Rattler because apparently he's a head case. If someone like that wants to come to Arizona, you take him. <laughs> you don't say no for a lot of reasons, but I wonder if Arizona can go into next season with the quarterbacks that committed and the ones on the roster and feel good about the position because. I, I'm intrigued by Fafita. I enjoyed Plummer's growth. I still want to upgrade that position. I, I mean, I agree. I would like to see a bit more talent there. And maybe that is Noah Fafita over time. Or maybe it's growth of Jordan McLeod or, or Will Plummer. Um, in or my Gunner mind, Cruz. He's, he's still there. I, I mean, the, in my mind, the easiest way to upgrade the, the performance in that position is to upgrade the talent level on the O-line and at the, in the receiver room. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think you can win with the guys that are on the roster or Fafita coming in, but that's really? if and okay. only if I think I, well, win is a relative term. <laughs> we will win more than one game out. <laughs> um, but if, if the O-line isn't there, you know, I don't care if you have, you know, Arch Manning back there, he's going to, he's going to get, be on his back a lot. Right. Or if you don't have receivers, that can get open. There's not much a there's not much a, a a great arm talent can do to that, right? Um, so, I, I agree. Do you think though, like, if you have that quarterback, if you have the quarterback who is a known commodity, it's easier to get linemen to come play for you. It's easier to get receivers to come play for you because it kind of it's like a chicken and the egg type of thing, right? Because if and I'm just gonna say Spencer Rattler, I don't think he's not coming to Arizona. I would not expect that at all. But if Spencer Rattler comes to Arizona, that's a signal to say, hey follow me here because I chose Arizona for a reason. If you just go in with what they have right now, a quarterback, we could say, we'll say triumvirate, you know, Gunnar Cruz, Jordan McLeod, Will Plummer, plus no Fafita. Is that enough to have, be like a magnet for the offensive lineman for the skill position guys? I don't know if it's enough. Like if you can get one of those high level transfer quarterbacks, I'm doing it. Absolutely. Oh, 
Sure, but I will flip that on its head and say that I don't think a quarterback that has NFL aspirations is going to come to Arizona unless they feel comfortable that their O-line running back and receiving room is going to make them look good and keep them healthy. I, you know, It's a chicken or egg problem. I think that the better... The, the the right answer is to 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 especially the line to solve that that question um and then i think you can you can get more quarterback talent to more seriously look at you there um but that's 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 my opinion i like spencer rattler he's not going to come in here and risk getting sacked four times a game and uh and putting up terrible numbers and negate his traps so or comes to arizona lifts the program to a bowl game you're like yep that's the leader we need. See, you can go either way. Like this. I, uh, what? That sounds. Like, that's a pretty strong wish casting you just did there, Adam. Yeah, yeah. But but that, that's the beauty of the transfer portal too, though. Like obviously, when you're Arizona, when it comes to recruiting, you're always going to be nervous that people are going to flip your guys. And when you're Arizona, you're not confident you're going to get these elite transfers. But at the same time, they're out there, and if they're linked to Arizona in some capacity, or Arizona can get them then they can upgrade the talent a lot faster than normal. You're not waiting on just freshmen to develop. You can bring in almost ready-made players, plug-and-play. I know Fish calls it free agency. You know, bring guys in who can just like Isaiah Rutherford was. Just bring him and he can play. You know, that, that was helpful until he got hurt. And you can have a few more of those guys, then you're in pretty good shape. But it should be interesting to see what happens with Arizona football. Of course, the early signing day is still a couple of weeks away. Um... Otherwise, like basketball, things are great. Men's basketball team is now ranked, which is terrific. Women's basketball team is ranked higher, which is also terrific. So, like, not much to go on there. Arizona men's basketball, they, their Pac-12 opener against Washington was scheduled for the second. It has now been postponed because of a COVID issue with Washington. So, COVID's still out there. It's a nice reminder that it's still a thing. You know, it's not gone. But, yeah, but women's team is uh, number seven in the country. And the men are up to number, was it 11? I think it was 11, yeah. Yeah, so almost two top tens. I think Arizona's now one of three programs in the country, men's and women's, to have undefeated teams. So it's a basketball school. What do you want? We can officially now say it is we have moved on to basketball season. Yes, and it's reasonable. <laughs> like it makes a lot of sense uh, to do that. So, yeah, I think... I think that just about does it. Of course, we're going to talk about the football news when it comes down. There might be more hires for that defensive staff. There's, of course, going to be recruiting that we'll get into when that time comes and different transfers and all that. But for the most part, I think the focus on Wildcat Radio 2.0 is going to shift towards basketball for good reason. And then there'll be baseball soon enough and softball and all those other things. But it won't be football heavy like it has been. Um, I think that I think that's the right way to go, Brett. I, I do. Except for except for hopefully we have a very exciting signing day and. A couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be nervousness until that time comes. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio. AZ is the handle. There's always content coming from there. You know, stay tuned to this channel. There's other content too on the Wildcat Radio 2.0 account. Um, you can find us on iTunes and on Spotify. If you find us on iTunes, subscribe to us. Give us a rating. We'll read it on the air. Um, otherwise, we appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next week. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.